first of all, just thank you so much for having me today. It's exciting to be here. I never thought in my life I'd be standing, you know, have my family in a church in this position, surrounded by Seahawks fans. <laughs> this, this is new for me. But I'm, I'm very thrilled, um, and I'm just humbled and excited to be here today. Now, um, meeting your board this past month and, and talking with them has been such a joy. You guys have a great board that works in this place, and it's been just my pleasure and to talk to them. Every time I talk to them, I get real excited. Um, every conversation I've had, even you know, going into an interview, it, there's, there's always nerves, and those were gone really fast with how comfortable they made me feel. I just had a lot of fun with them, so, so hats off to the board here. They, they are a great group of people that I've gotten to know this past month. It's easy to see that they care about you all, and, and there's a mutual desire for the best of what God has in store for Celebration Center. Now, a little bit about me before I get started. I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. You can assume what you want, but that's what it comes to my football tastes. My grandpa, as Pastor Chris said, was the, the pastor at Creekside Church uh, for many, many years when I was little. I've been going to that church my whole life, aside from a three-year stint that I had at another Creekside. It's funny, not affiliated in any way, just the same name. Is there a creek around this church? Anywhere, just curious, because that's where I've been all over my whole life with Creeksides. But I've been the children's pastor at Creekside for um, over 10 years. I've been, um, for the past four, the associate pastor, on top of being the children's pastor. And on top of that, I've taken over the youth for the past couple years. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been quite a ride being a pastor and working with kids and adults of, of all ages. I went to college in Sacramento where I met my wife. Um, the common question is, what did you do to her to convince her to marry you? I don't know, but she was the first girl that acknowledged me. So I said, yes, and we're in. But there's, there's nothing quite like being able to grow with people in Jesus and lead people in Jesus. It's, it's an honor that I get to do this um, for, for my life. And this has been very exciting. As, uh, as some of you, if you were here last week, you saw a little intro video we did. We came up and spied on you last month. When this whole process got started, we decided you know, we were going to put our application in. And um, the only person who knew we were coming was Pastor Chris. We told him we were going to come check it out. We weren't going to talk to anybody. We were just going to come and... Our prayer was that. It's like, God, give us a vision and passion for this place or give us the nudge to step aside and let whoever you do give that passion to step in. And we came in and we got excited. That, that's been the word for this past month for us is just excitement. The more we, we visit here, the more we, we look at you guys, we spy on you guys online too. So the more we spy on you and, and the conversations we have with the board, we get real excited for this place. And we almost succeeded in coming here and getting out without talking to anybody. And then Jeff caught us on our way out the door. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm not campaigning right now. I'm not trying to meet people and say, hey, I'm Pastor Dustin, and you'll see my resume tonight. It was really just God give us vision or excitement and let us get out of here before anybody talks to us. And Jeff caught us at the door. And I remember in my mind thinking, what do I say? How do I not be rude, but how do I get out right now? <laughs> and uh, we, we were able to get out only to find out that they were on to us from the get-go. When we walked in, they saw our Disneyland masks, and they were like, not from here. Who are they? Um, but it's, it's been a great, great time getting to know this place and the people here. So I'm thrilled to be, to be here. And today I'd like you to open up your books, or Bibles, sorry, to the book of Joshua. And I think uh, Joshua really talks a lot about where we are today, not just as a nation or as a United States or a country, but even as a church. Where are we and where do we go from here? So we're going to read from Joshua 1. But let me, let me ask you guys this. How many of you guys would say you've experienced just an ordinary day in your life? Right? Just, just an ordinary day. And by ordinary day, I mean the normal routine. You, you wake up, you shower, you eat breakfast, you get ready for work, you go to work, you come home, you have time with your family, 
you know, it, and then you, you, know, you go to bed and then rinse, recycle, repeat. That's just kind of the, the normal routine. Now, depending on where you work or if you're the stay-at-home parent, you know, that may look different for everybody. But we all typically have a routine for what we would call normal day. Something Stephanie likes to ask me often is like, hey, how was work today? And I'll be like, it was normal day. And she goes, well, what did you do? I'm like, do you really want me to go into everything I did? <laughs> but but for me, it was just a normal day at work. So we, we all have those. A normal, nothing crazy, nothing out of the ordinary day. But then you have days that are epic and unforgettable. Your extraordinary days, right? Maybe you have a wedding, your wedding or someone else's wedding. That's an extraordinary day. Nothing normal, normal or ordinary about it. You go and you're excited. That's something you will never forget. Maybe it's the birth of a child or a, a son or daughter or a grandchild. Or maybe it's something not quite as exciting but special. Maybe it's a memorial service for a loved one. It's an extraordinary day that you'll never forget. Well, maybe it is exciting. It's a promotion at a job. It's your team winning the championship. When a day like this comes, you never forget the feeling you have on that day, right? There's things that you, just, you can look back and say, I remember that moment. I remember exactly how I felt. These are our extraordinary days. And I suspect none of us will ever forget the day that COVID-19 changed everything for you personally. Whether it was when you were told you couldn't go to work or someone in your family was affected by it, working from home, a business shrinking or closing. Maybe it was when church said, hey, we actually can't even meet anymore. We all remember that day, how it felt when we got those, that news, right? Maybe someone you know has been battling COVID. Maybe someone you know has lost their life from it. We can all think of how it has, has affected us, right? So the question then is, when we get an extraordinary day, one that doesn't seem like it's worth celebrating, where do we go? How, how do we handle it? What are we supposed to do? Now, for me, like I said, um, it was March 11th. That was the day California, specifically Contra Costa County, where we live, shut down. There was the, the news came out, press conferences, everybody stay home, shelter in place, no one goes anywhere. No school, no church, no work, and for an extrovert like me, emotional death. That was just being told, I can't go anywhere and I can't see anybody, I was dying. And my wife, who's more on the introverted side, being told that she had to stay home with her whole family and she had no quiet time, it's emotional death for her too. I was dying to get out and she was dying to get me out. <laughs> get out of the house, please. But I remember, I'm pretty sure we can all remember when our world stopped, when everything shifted for us. And we had to ask ourselves a question. You know, now what? Where do we go from here? What are we supposed to do? How are we even supposed to handle this? Not just practically, but emotionally and spiritually. How do we move forward through it? How do we live life? How do we celebrate God's goodness when, quite frankly, things don't seem that good? What are we supposed to do? Well, the people we're going to talk about in Scripture today experienced a very extraordinary day that changed the course of their history. They had been wandering around for 40 years after captivity in the desert. They had a day that involved a change at the top, and it would shift the course of their history for years to come. Moses had been with them in the desert for 40 years, and now he was gone. And that's what we're going to pick up today. Now, having someone with you that long and having a leader be that strong, those are big shoes to fill. And so this is where God comes in with Joshua. So starting Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says this. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates to the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. 
No one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There is so much in that passage that talks about moving forward through crisis and uncertainty. And we're going to unpack some of that today. So in 40 years, Israel now has a very memorable day. There's a command from God and there's a leadership change. They're about to go there in their journey to arrive into the promised land. This is a memorable time, but also one that could easily be filled with fear. There, there, there could be some comfort in the fact of what they've been doing for 40 years. It's not easy to break a 40-year habit, and now they're being told to move. And I know from experience firsthand that change brings uncertainty unknown. Right? When, when something drastic changes, there's a lot of fear that can get, get involved. Right? Uncertainty unknown. This leads to fear. This can lead to anxiety. This can lead to panic and uneasiness. And these are not typically things when you hear these words that get your, your blood pumping, right? Hey, we're going to go be afraid. Yeah, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get you excited. It, it's called fear for a reason, right? It, it causes people to, to kind of shrivel up and cower back. And now they're being told to do something. And I know that God knows they're going to be afraid because he says right there, do not be afraid. I've commanded you, be strong and courageous. When all these things come into our life, this is what the world may throw at us, but I know what Jesus offers. And when the world says there's going to be fear, uncertainty, panic, Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers joy. Jesus offers comfort. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, one of my favorite passages says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, growing up, I played football, played Pop Warner football, I played it for years, I absolutely loved it. Now, I hear Seattle has a pretty decent team up here in Washington, and I know many of you guys like to destroy, um, or watch them destroy teams that I care so deeply about. But often, in football, a coach has a saying. He may look over the sideline and yell something. He may say, next man up. And if you're on the sideline, when you hear those words, it's game time. That means there's been something that's happened on the field where someone's getting taken out, whether it's an injury or they, they blew an assignment, they just can't do it, but it is now your turn. Next man up means you have to be ready at all times because you never know when your name is going to get called in that moment to get off the sideline and into the game. And when you do, it is trial by fire. The next play starts and you are right there in the middle of everything. Everything you've been practicing for and preparing for is now right here in your forefront, ready to go. It was exciting and nervous. But I love that when, when I think about what this verse is saying and what God is saying with Joshua here, we, we know that we have to be ready when God calls. You know, we never know when God's going to look at you and say, hey, you're up. This is your time. When he looks at, at the church and says, all right, Celebration Center, this is your time. You're up. Your family, he says, hey, your family, this is your time. It is your turn. Let's go. It's a big time, and it's an important time, and it's about how we respond to this time. You see, Joshua was God's and the Israelites. He was the next man up. God had said to them, all right, Joshua, you're up. It's your turn. It's your time to take my people. And we only know a few basic facts at this point about Joshua. We know he was called the son of Nun. He came from the tribe of Ephraim. 
His Hebrew name means Jehovah, Jehovah saves, and he spent 40 years as Moses' number one assistant. He and Caleb were two of the spies that, one of the two of the 12 spies that Moses sent out that came back and brought a good report when the other spies were too scared to move forward. So we know Caleb was about 40 years old at that time. We can assume scholars think Joshua was around that age. So he may be around 65 at this point when he's getting his call to be next man up. And when he takes charge, he does it. And I love it. We know that above all else with Joshua, we learn from him in scriptures, he was a soldier. He had some amazing battle tactics that you would not think would ever work. If you know the story of Jericho, you know where it goes from there. The most unusual tactic of marching and playing, but he followed God's orders and it worked. See, Moses led in a way that Joshua couldn't lead at the time, but then Joshua led battles that Moses couldn't fight at that time. There were specific reasons God had them go, and this was Joshua's time. I love that they were two separate leaders. They both followed God, and they had incredible stories of things God did through them and working in their leadership. But now the people of God face this question, right? Moses is dead. Joshua is now saying, this is what God wants. Now what? And we all face that question, right? I think we can all pinpoint a time in our life where we've thought, oh man, now what? Probably more in 2020 than ever in our lives. We've asked, now what? Maybe when the next orders come out from the governor, you think, oh my gosh, what are they going to say next? You know, now what? <laughs> what do we do? Now what seems to just be the question for the year. But in your life, we've all faced now what? Maybe a significant other of many years has died, and you ask God, all right, God, now what? Or maybe you've lost your job, and you have to say, all right, God, God I lost my job. Now what? Our pastor is no longer here at the church, God. Now what? What do we do? These are all valid questions. And something, or when someone, a prominent leader in our lives has, has moved on, it's a very valid question. Now what? And I see here in Joshua, God outlines what we do with these questions. I think God knew they were going to say, now what? And so he gave them a clear direction to go after their now what moment. The first thing we do that we see God tells people in their now what moment is this. He says, we move forward. You see, when Moses died, the people could have easily stopped. They could have very easily said, you know what? Moses, we were in the desert for 40 years with Moses. They could have looked at Joshua and said, what, what makes you think you can get us out of here? All right, Moses got us out of Egypt. What makes you think you can take us to this next step that, that he, he didn't take us to? They could have easily said, now what? You know what? No, we're, we're, we've got manna every day. Whenever we grumble and complain, God provides for us. You know, there's lessons to be learned there. But you know, we, God provides, and he's been faithful to the people and giving them what they need. They could have very easily said, we're not moving. No, no, no. We're, we can't do it. Look at that river. Look at the walls of Jericho. We're fine. Give us our manna. We'll stay here. But God clearly tells them it is time to move forward. He says, my promise has come. This, is, this was a change at the top that was significant, but it was not significant enough to stop what God had promised the people he was going to do. You see, Isaiah 14, 27 says this, the Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hand is raised, who can stop him? That's powerful right there. Who can stop him? We serve a God so big that nothing, and I mean nothing, can stop what he said he's going to do. And, and that, if that doesn't bring you the most comfort in your life, I don't know what's going to do it. You know, God can stop at nothing. Nothing will stop him from doing what he's promised. He is the ultimate leader, and he will never change. When one of his earthly leaders finished their time on earth, God said it. He said, hey, next man up. My promise hasn't changed. Let's go. We're still moving forward. Let me take away your fear. Let me keep moving with you. Don't stay put in your current situation. Joshua 1-2 says this, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. You see, this verse talks about the extent of God's promise. He said, I didn't mean for you to stay here. 
The promise was not for you to wander the rest of your lives. The promise was for you to go forward, and you're going to be a great nation. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to give you every piece of land your feet stand on. That's an incredible promise. But that means you can't stay put. Your land's not going to grow, right? If, you're, if you already have that land, the next logical thing is to move forward. You've got to go to expand your kingdom and your, your nation the way that I have promised you. It was a promise and a challenge. The first step, though, is not to be paralyzed by fear and uncertainty, but to say, all right, I'm going to go. We are going to move forward. And it's not like they didn't have those obstacles, right? The Jordan River is what they had to cross. And when Joshua told them, all right, we're going to cross the Jordan River, this was flood season. And you're talking, you have families, animals, all of your possessions, and you now say, in this overflowing, flooding, rushing river, we are going to cross. Are you crazy? Like, the, the logical thing would be to wait. You're going to wait until the flood season's over, the, the, the river dies down, then you can safely cross. And on top of that, when you cross the river, you can see the walls of Jericho. So it's like, not only do we have to brave this river, but that massive city with its massive walls and its ridiculous army is waiting for us. This is not a common sense move. But it doesn't stop Joshua from putting forward what God told him. He said, tell your people, let's go. And they went to the river. You see, Paul says this in Corinthians 16.9. He says, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. You see, the Israelites had the river opposing them. They had Jericho opposing them. And Paul talks about things in his life. He says, you know, when you have this opportunity in front of you, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be challenges. But those challenges are where we get to see God do amazing things. I mean, would you really give God the credit if it was something you could totally do on your own? When you have to look at that moment and say, man, God showed me this, that's when you get to really say, wow, God's in control. I get to trust him and see how he works his wonders in my journey and in my life. You see, and there's always this opposition. Now, when you come across a door, I love how this verse uses the, the visual of a door. It says, when the door of opportunity opens, there's obstacles. If you have a door in front of you, what you want's on the other side, what do you have to do? You got to go through the door. You don't get to walk around it and go, oh, that looks nice, see you later. <laughs> go the other way. You can't get what's on the other side of the door unless you take that step and walk through the door. And Paul says that. There's going to be opposition, but you've got to go through that door. You can't walk around it. If you want to enter into something, walk through it, and let's go through it together. God doesn't say, run from the opposition. He didn't say, hey, let's wait till Jericho is, uh, maybe their population will die down a little bit, then we'll go for it. No, God says, no, there's opposition, but I'm here with you. Let's go. Let's go for it. Another pastor that I heard talk about this passage kind of summarized uh, the call for Israel in these, these phrases. He said, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. You can stay where you are, but the action's going to be somewhere else. You can stay where you are, but the miracle's going to start at the Jordan River. You can stay where you are, but God is calling you to move forward. So I believe God said that to the people then, and I believe he's saying that to us now. If we want to move forward, not just in your family, but as a church, as a community, if we want to move forward, we want to see things change, we've got to move forward by faith. We've got to know that he is with us. We've got to know that whatever door we open, there's going to be opposition. There, there's going to be something in front of us, but we also got to know God's bigger than anything that's ever going to stand in our way. And through him, we can overcome amazing things. Will we have the courage to move forward when we see that opposition is the question. The second thing that I love about when he says moving forward, he says, we go forward with confidence. Now, there's a, ver there's a verse so prominent and important in this passage. It says, Joshua 1.9. This is one, you know, you, you learn in, in children's ministry growing up. It's one we, uh, we sing songs about in VBS. It says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Then as you keep reading, Joshua tells the people that he felt so confident in God that he didn't hesitate. There, there wasn't a discussion between Joshua and God saying, all right, God, are you serious? 
You want me to do this? And, and now you want us to go do what? He went immediately and said, tell the people. It's time to go. Start packing up. Moses is gone. God gave me this word. We're going to move on it. He was confident. He said, tell the people to get up and go with God as their guide. And some more context, like I said, they're, they're approaching the Jordan River in flood season. They got Jericho in front. These look like impossible odds. But Joshua said, we are confident that God is our guide and he is with us every single step of the way. Paul tells Timothy in scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For the Spirit of God does not give, make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And there's so many things we can learn about confidence in this. Psalm 71, 4 and 5 says, Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since youth. Proverbs 14.26, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. And then Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Man, confidence gets pulled through Old Testament to New Testament. When God gives people an order, he says, go with confidence. Be confident in who I am. Be confident that he called you for a purpose as well. No one was called to do anything by mistake at any point in scripture. And I believe that true to this very day. When God puts something on your heart and he's speaking to you, you can confidently know he has put that there. And he's with you in your steps. He's not just pulling your strings as a practical joke. He's not going to say, I told you to do that. Look how that turned out. Woo. That's not God. God has confidence in you. That's why he chose you for his pleasing and perfect will. You see, we have to respond to that call, though. That's a big thing about confidence. When, when you say, I'm going to move forward, you've got to respond. I know God's going to put a tug on your heart in some way, shape, or form. Everyone here, I believe, has been called to, to serve God in some way, shape, or form. And when you find out what that is, when God reveals, this is what I have for you, Move forward on it and move forward with confidence that God's put that on you for a reason. When we go forward with confidence, man, God is with you everywhere you go. In scripture, we learn all the time that people move into the unknown. It very seldom do you hear a passage where someone says, oh, God called me to do this. I was going to go here and they were going to respond this way and everything was going to be great. It doesn't usually happen that way. People get called not knowing how people are going to respond, but they get called knowing God told them to do something for a reason. And when we see God work wonders in our life, and when we step out in confidence into the unknown, that's when we experience the most personal growth and, I think, the most spiritual growth in our walk with Christ. You see, back in March, the USA entered into a very uncertain time. A number of months ago here at Celebration Center, this church entered into a very uncertain time. As a matter of fact, with the new orders this week, we just entered into another uncertain time here in Puyallup. A couple months ago, I'm sitting down with my wife, and I get an email about a church in Washington, and I decided to enter my family into a very uncertain time, a very exciting but uncertain time. Just like the Israelites in Scripture, they were in an uncertain time, but something that we see in uncertain times is a consistent certainty that God is with them, God is with us, God is with you, God is with this place, and we see that consistently pulled through Scripture. You see, after 40 years in the desert, you can bet the people were ready to be out of the, the, uh, the desert, right? They were ready to be into the promised land, but it was a scary time. Joshua didn't have an easy task. He had to take over for someone who had four decades of leadership experience, people who trusted him, people who knew he was following God. But with God, with Moses gone, God knew they would have uncertainty and fear. He knew it. You know, don't ever think God doesn't know what you're feeling, or what you're going to respond, what you're going to think and say. He knew what they were going to say, which is why he said in that very first chapter right away, do not be afraid. I'm with you everywhere you go. Into the unknown, into a new journey, with a new leader, 
God was with them because ultimately he was leading Israel. This passage is echoed in Deuteronomy where it says in 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So, so the question then is when we look ahead at the big scary rivers in our life, whatever that may be, or the, the big scary wall blocking our path, when we look ahead and we see that, we see the, the rapids going and we see the wall with the army taunting you saying, you'll never accomplish this. You'll never take over here. You'll never, whatever that looks like in your life. When you see that, the question then is, when you look to your left and to your right, do you see God standing right there saying, we've got this? Saying right there, I told you we've got this. I promised you. So let's go get it. And when you look ahead at that river, do you see God on his boat going across going, let's go, I'm going. Do you see him on top of that army, on top of that castle saying, I'm right here waiting for you. Hopefully when you look at all the situations, you see him in all those places. You see him with you. And even if you look back, he's behind you saying, I'm bringing up the rear, let's go. You see him encompassing all around you. Because God promises he is with you. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He goes before you. He's beside you. He's behind you. He encompasses your entire walk when you trust in him. And you get to see that he is leading this charge. He's not just the one that we can fall back to when we need him. Because believe me, I've fallen back many times. Said, God, catch me. This is, this is hurting. This is hard. But he's also the one leading the charge into the next battle. He is all around us the whole time. Uncertain times prove above all else that God is certain. And he will most certainly overcome anything that comes in his way. You see, lastly today, this, this last thing I want to talk about is uh, this new path that God puts in your life. It's important to always understand that when you keep your focus and you move forward, you keep your focus on Jesus. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to look left. It's easy to look right and see something else. Um, I, lo I love Disney. I'm surprised Chris didn't out my Disney love when he was introducing me. But um, I love Disney movies, and I love Up, the dog, you know, squirrel, story of my life. I, you know, I get very distracted in things. But it's so easy when you're trying to do something with God. And you say, all right, I'm doing this. Squirrel, what's this? You start walking off this way. But we've got to learn that in hard times, especially when you're going through something hard and, and a trial, that you keep your focus set on Jesus. Joshua chapter 3 says this, verses 2 through 5. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, and do not go near it. You see, we see here in this passage a, a visual point for the Israelites. The Israelites followed the ark. They followed the ark. Joshua 3 mentions the ark of the covenant nine times. Easy to say, this is a very important part of the story. The most important part in this part was them to follow the ark and keep their eyes on it. You see, the ark was the most important possession that they had because it was the visual representation of God in their lives. They wanted to see it. They needed to see it. It had a gold seat on top called the mercy seat. It contained the Ten Commandments and a pot of manna. It represented God's presence with the Israelites. And the Lord instructed Joshua, he said, keep it 2,000 cubits, which is about half a mile between the people with the ark leading the way. You see, Israel truly wanted God's guidance. They did. They wanted to follow him. And the people knew that they had to treat it with respect. So there was a barrier there. They had awe and reverence for what the ark meant. But at the same time, they knew they wanted to follow it. So Joshua knew if we put the ark out here, if we follow the ark, if we, we let the ark lead the way, the people will follow. Because they will say, this is where God is going, and this is where we are going to keep going as well. And I note the reason it says in the text, since you have not been this way before. Anybody ever gotten lost? 
And yeah, it's, it's no fun. And since I'm a guy, I don't ask for directions. You know, it's a nope, we'll find it, we'll find it. Now, in today's world, you know, we have GPS. You know, if, if you have a phone, you've got GPS. So it's hard to get lost unless you blatantly ignore the GPS. And, no, I know a better way. And then you're spinning in circles. And then I've got my wife telling me one thing, another um, voice on the phone telling me another. You know, but it's, it's hard to get lost. But we have GPS. We don't necessarily need the paper map or the all-important navigator that we used to have trying to find places, you know, reading the map quest directions. You know, in 0.2 miles, did you reset your odometer? No, we missed it. Turn around. And you can't just flip those directions upside down, right? It's, you have to have a navigation. You have to have a destination. Now, we've got to have a point B. You've got to know where you're going. Now, when we came up to visit in October, we had never been to Puyallup before. We have some friends that live in Gig Harbor, so we had been up there before and visited them. We have some other friends that live in Stanwood, so we've been up there to visit them. But we had never been to Puyallup. And so when we got here, we decided, okay, let's put in some, you know, what are some local known places? And we started driving through with a destination in mind. One of them, of course, was Celebration Center. We drove through the parking lot here, and we did a little bit of exploring. I know Pastor Chris uh, drove us around a little bit as well on one afternoon. He and his wife and showed us uh, Puyallup, and we had a great time. But before they took us out, we took the night before and just kind of was like, all right, let's see where we are. But we had a point B and some things that we knew God was calling us to. Celebration Center, the South Hill Mall, Anthem Coffee. Oh, my gosh. I love that place. I don't even like coffee. But we went there, and it was good. Fred Meyer. California doesn't have Fred Meyer. That place is amazing. I love it. All that to say, we had our sight set on a destination, and we were able to go there. Joshua had his marching orders, and he knew that he wanted the people to keep moving forward where God had called them. And he said, all right, God, if we're going to do this, we're going to put the ark ahead because people will follow you. They will follow your physical presence that we have, the presence of God. We're going to follow the ark. This was their GPS. This was their point of destination. Follow the ark wherever it goes. Far enough to where they couldn't lose sight of it, but close enough to where they could always be within marching distance of it. Now, I know we don't have a physical ark. You can't go outside and say, all right, here is my ark. I'm going to put it down the street, and then you catch up to it and move it again. Now, obviously, that doesn't work, right? But we do have an incredible book of God's word. And this gives us so much direction when we start to unpack it. It gives us so much clarity. Even when things are still slightly unknown, it can, we can at least, we understand where God may be pulling us to go. We can keep our sights set on this. You see, where the Israelites had their sights set on uh, the ark, we have our sights on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, when we find ourselves in an unfamiliar place, we remember to keep moving forward, Move forward with confidence, but never forget that last important piece. Focus on Jesus the whole time. Focus on where he's calling you. Keep your eyes set on him. And it's a huge step in our faith and our walk with God when we come to the place where we admit that we don't know, but he does. And you may not know exactly where his point B is, but if you're using him as your point B, he'll get you there. You can follow him and he'll take you to that destination. Admit that we know little about the future. We're not as smart as we think we are. That's a tough pill for me to swallow sometimes, to admitting that I don't know everything. Um, something my wife likes to say when someone gives me a compliment, she goes, oh, there goes my husband's ego. Just <laughs> So admitting that I don't know something, you know, it's, it's hard, but I think that's a big step in trusting God, admitting that he knows, and we don't, but he always does. It's okay not to know because Jesus knows where you are. He knows where he wants you to be. He knows the steps it takes to get you there. 
may not be comfortable, may be painful, most likely will be, but it's going to be good. And it's going to be amazing for you. And we, we, when we run this race to the best of our ability, keeping our eyes focused on him as we run, there's nothing that can stop what he has in place for us. I'd like to invite uh, Allie to come back up. Now, COVID is unknown. These times are unknown. The future is unknown. But what is known today, God is with you. God is with us. God is with Celebration Center. God is here he is sitting in every chair. He is in this room speaking to all of us. And when we venture forward as a church, when we venture forward as, as a body of believers following God, we don't have to be afraid of this journey because not only is God with us here, God is with us there. God knows exactly the steps this church needs to take to make an impact in the community, to be the church where, where people say, wow, did you hear what, how Celebration Center helped our family during this time? Uh, did you hear how Celebration Center helped the schools? Did you hear what's happening at Celebration Center? There are people that are supporting the community, that are bringing healing, that are loving people that walk on campus. That's what's happening at that place. Go experience what God's doing in that place. I believe that for this place that Celebration Center is going to be a place that people say that church is so loving. That church is incredible. And, and man, when I walked in there, I met Jesus. And that's an incredible place to be. He's with us now. He's with us there. When we do this journey together, know that God is with you. He's all around you. He's before you. He's going to work through me. He's going to work through you. He's going to work through Celebration Center in ways that we can't even imagine because he knows our point B. And when we keep looking at him, he will guide us to that point B, forward with confidence, keeping our eyes focused on him the whole time. Amen? Would you all stand with me? I'm excited for this place. I'm excited for Puyallup to think of the impact that this, this small group of believers can turn into something so huge because when we follow God, man, it's amazing what he does. You, you never see a time in scripture where people follow God and, and they get the short end of the stick and everything turns out bad. It has bumps along the road, but it's always good because he is good and he loves us. And I know that he wants, he wants people to be reached. He wants people to hear his heart. He wants people to, to hear his voice. And I think we all have a part to play in reaching our community and our city for that. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. I, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and, and celebrate your goodness, God. I, I love the name of this place, Celebration Center. We get to come on Sundays and celebrate you. Celebrate the work you're doing in our life. Celebrate the work you're doing in our city. Celebrate your goodness. Celebrate your love with faith, with faith, looking forward and confident that you are leading the way. So God, I ask that today, as we continue to worship, that our worship doesn't stop here. Our worship is our life. Every conversation we have, God, every, everything we say, the people we talk to, the way we walk, the way we think, we offer you our lives as worship. And we do it confidently knowing you're in charge and we can trust that you have got this above all else. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.